how we're getting on in Compton in church planting, and just to preach on whatever I wanted. Well, there you go. So, you know, seeing I was in a, in a more traditional church at the moment, I'm doing three points, all beginning with C. How good's that? I'm going to speak about Compton, comfort zone, and calling. And I think everyone grows in their gifting and changes, don't they? And if I'm honest, I'm going to be honest now, I would never have seen Phil Miles as a worship leader. I'm just honest. You know? Maybe you still don't. Maybe, maybe you do. <laughs> but actually, I was really surprised how good you were, Phil. Thank you. <laughs> and one thing I just want to... Can we have the first next slide, please, Millie? I just wanted to talk briefly about something that you guys all know, and that's God's provision. Um, this is just the small church at Compton, which... Um, we're, we're um, developing a building at the moment. It was a youth centre right at the bottom of my road that my kids went to um, as an after-school club, and it had fallen into disrepair. And long story of it short, the council gave the church gave the church the building for a pound a year for a hundred years. Um, it did require a lot of money to refurbish it. However, that's God's provision, isn't it? The church that I'm going to is looking to reach out to West Wolverhampton. They've been going for 10 years. Um, there's a building at Finchfield, which those of you who know little at Finchfield, there's a little chapel next to it, and that's where the, the church is. Um, there's a congregation of 60, mostly older people, all fitting in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. I am indeed, probably, definitely, one of the younger members. And that's been a real learning curve for me. And I'll talk a bit more about that later. And they've just transitioned, this may sound familiar, from a founder senior leader, who's now 75, to a team of two leaders. It's non-denominational, believes in the priesthood of all believers. Yippee! And we're hoping to open the building in Compton in March or April. That's just a bit of background, yeah? That's the good news. The exciting news is there's no people in it whatsoever and no one to go. Isn't that great? But what's really struck me is that you've got a church of just 60 people with a DNA in them that says, plant a church, plant another church, plant another church. They haven't waited till they've got a lot of people. There's 60 people, nearly all over 60, who've heard the call of God to plant in Finchfield and then plant another church in Compton with no people. I think that's actually quite a testimony. So the aim is to maintain and grow the church in Finchfield and plant a church in Compton. And you know, they need encouraging. But what I've found is, is that they're willing. They're a willing congregation. They just need a bit of, come on, you can do it. So I've found myself doing things like going to the ladies group every week with all the over 70s. Now people who know me will know that's just my cup of tea. <laughs> I've helped them think about what does it mean to be missional? And we've put on an afternoon tea because they run coffee hubs every day of the week that people from the community come in. Maybe only six or seven or eight people, ten people, but they come in and they reach and they have social prescribing and people come in and they just chat. And then some of those people go to the craft group or just want to know more, but they all wanted to come for afternoon tea. So we put on an afternoon tea and we started doing carol singing outside. It was snowy, it was cold, but do you know what? People came, we had a probably 
70% of the congregation came and did carol singing on a freezing day in the snow. Some of them with their walking sticks. But you know what? They wanted to serve Jesus. I've read loads of books on missional communities and church planting, and there are loads of different models. But it's not the same as doing it, is it? And the more that you know, the more that you know you don't know. And the more that you don't know, the more you know that you know that the only answer is Jesus. That's it. So there have been frustrations. There's been slow progress because we've had to focus on the building, so there's been a lack of traction. And there are huge issues to work through. And there's only a few people to draw on. We're part of a M4, a learning community for church planting. But it's exciting. We're now getting to the stage where we're beginning to see how God's bringing it together. And I know it's an exciting time for you guys at Junction 10 with the arrival of the TARC and with the opportunities to plant church in Darleston. How are you going to do it? What are you going to do? Leaders can't do it on their own. And I just want to share with you a couple of things this morning that I've learned over the last year that I hope will be helpful for you as you journey forward at Junction 10 with the Allenwell and with Darleston. It's nothing new. You'll be pleased to know. I haven't suddenly become even more heretical than I was before. There's nothing new. And those of you who have been at Junction 10 a long time will definitely have heard some of this before. But it's challenging and it's simple. Can I have the next slide, please, Millie? Comfort zone. Ooh, that's the first one. Here's a question. And I posed it to myself as much as I am to you. Are we content worshipping and fellowshipping together? Are we comfortable Christians? Are we knowledgeable, but maybe just a little bit cosy? Are we in our comfort zone? Content with maybe being stretched occasionally, but not too often, please. And then going back to being comfortable. Some of us are. Some of you aren't. Some of you aren't. Some of you are 100%. I've got it. I know where I am. I'm hearing God. I'm off every day. And to be honest, for me, that comes and goes. Sometimes I'm more on fire than other times. And I think that probably is reality. Let me explain it in the language of Narnia. Because I know you like Narnia here. Winter had come, hadn't it, in Narnia? And the land and the characters had become frozen. There they are in the top picture. And then Aslan came and he breathed on the frozen characters and he breathed on the land and he melted them back to life. Hearts that had been on hold started to thaw and ache again. For Junction 10, I think the promises for land come into play here. God is breathing on the land at Junction 10 and it's beginning to thaw. And as people, we need to move with that as well and have our hearts aching again for the local community. The call in Narnia was to stop being jaded enough to just crack open the wardrobe and see God's kingdom, to see God's story and to be fully alive and engage, to fully embrace everything that God has, to accept that actually... I need to listen again to the call of God, to share life, to be vulnerable. I'd been at Windmill a few weeks and someone said, Ah, Mary, 
You're the one with all the ideas. I thought, oh, man, that's a bit of a jolter, isn't it? So I've tried to not have too many ideas. Go, oh, I haven't got any ideas. I haven't got this. Well, I have really, but I'll only tell a few people. But what does it mean? It means I've been going to 70th birthday parties. I was at an 80th birthday party last night. It's the things of my dreams. <laughs> but you know, what I've found is that I feel genuinely honoured that I'm invited. And that's a major shift for me. But the headline here is that people who are seeking God and people who are comfortable aren't looking for the best programs or facilities or services or attractional church. They're looking for genuine people with a message of God's transforming love on a mission that makes sense. And how does that affect how we think of planting church, whether it's at Compton or Allenwell or Darleston? What implications does it have? Because for me, it's about incarnation, not presentation. It's about building community and points of contact that people can come into with Jesus. We still have challenge, we still have chaos, but God brings meaning and purpose because he creatively remoulds us all the time. We're constantly being moulded and remoulded as we seek to live out our faith, living among the community and responding to their needs, listening and caring without judgment or strings, loving and inviting. We can't fix people. And maybe when we try and offer our solutions, we get in the way of God's work in them. It's tempting to give ideas and solutions. I do it all the time. I know I do it. But actually, it's more important to listen and to be with people the way that Jesus is with us. We're not all called to be the same. Every one of us is unique, made in the image of God, with unique characteristics. And we need to serve and welcome others where we can, using our own individuality. And not focusing on what we can't do, but focusing on what we can do. God has sent you individually and he has a plan for you. Doesn't look the same as mine. Doesn't look the same as the person next to you. But learning to walk in the plans of God has for us. Not you. Not me. But each individual person. And as we do that, the church is going to grow. And the really good thing is that God grows the church, not us. Hooray. No pressure. There's no pressure is there as leaders. You haven't got to grow the church. Because it's all down to God. And as we allow ourselves to be who God created us to be, to live the life of freedom he has for us, then we don't have to worry. We don't have to be better than others. God doesn't compare what he created. Isn't that incredible? God doesn't compare us. It's not a race to be at the front. God's love is poured equally on every single one of us. We're not obliged to attend meetings. Hooray! I remember... And I'm going to say, I remember getting a phone call, I'm thinking now, 25 years ago, and there may have been, Tim Fellows got the same phone call, Kevin may have done, I don't remember. No, no, you were in the same boat as me, Tim, at that point. We got a phone call from a very irate leader, saying, how dare you not come to the Thursday night Bible study? He did get the same phone call as me. How dare you not come to the Thursday night Bible study? You're young leaders. You need to encourage people. You need to be there. You need to set an example. 
Actually, no, we wanted to be out on mission. I didn't want to be sat in a church. And it causes waves. It can cause issues. But we're not obliged to attend meetings. The irony of the irony is that I go to church about five times a week at the minute. That's the irony of it all. But when we discover the Father's love for us and what it means to live in him, then we're committed to his mission. Can I have the next PowerPoint, please? Well, no, I don't. Sorry. Sorry, Millie. I'm getting ahead of myself. I've got my notes all shoveled up. I think. So actually, it is the next PowerPoint. No, it's not. I've lost my notes. Ah, oh dear, hang on, let me just have a look. One. I've jumped from page one to three without even noticing. You missed, you missed page two. How terrible. Right. We need to learn. We're going back to page two now. Just, just stay on the PowerPoint. Go back to PowerPoint. That's the one. That one. We need to spend time trusting God, don't we? And leaning into him and hearing his voice. And I think one of the words you had at Junction 10 last year was moving from surviving to thriving. To step into the calling and the future that God has. Yes, it means challenge, but do you know what? God's a holy disruptor. Ooh, not so keen on that. It means being stirred again and being passionate for what God puts on your heart. Maybe revisiting things that he's told you before. We know that life's not predictable. Things often don't turn out as they are. For various reasons, life can change and our plans can be messed up and sometimes we feel a bit unhinged. Maybe what you were counting on is gone and you're left empty-handed. But hear the truth. God knows your story and he knows how to weave it together and bring it into land. And he's always better than anything we'd imagined. He's gone before you and he upholds and he sustains you. It can all seem so exciting, can't it? An adventure. I'm going to go to Compton and plant a church. We're going to plant a church in Darleston. The tarp's coming. And then reality dawns. Uh-oh. There's new responsibilities here. What skills have I got? Can I do this? What's the cost? How's it going to disrupt my life and my plans? Actually, I quite like being on the bench. It's quite comfortable, isn't it? If you play for Man United or the Wolves, you can be on the bench for ages. You can get played a fortune and you never come on. How great is that? You just do a bit of training, mosey on every now and then, do the odd 20 minutes, go home again. Great, it's quite comfortable being on the bench, isn't it? Just being called on occasionally. And I think it could be quite comfortable being in church, being in the pews and just being called on occasionally. It doesn't cost too much, it's not too hard and you're reliable when you're asked to do stuff. But actually, I think God's calling us to enter the cut and thrust of play, to be all on the playing field. Wouldn't it be exciting if all these people were on the playing field? Imagine if the whole squad of Wolves was on a pitch at once. What a team. But imagine if the whole squad of Junction 10 is active and mobilised at once. What a team. What a team. So what does God ask of us? Psalm 18:6. He reached down from on high. He took hold of me. He drew me out of deep water. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he's delighted in me. God is reaching out to you, even before you know you need him. 
And I wonder, how can you see and sense that God's reaching out to you to walk alongside you in your situation, to uphold and encourage you, to support you and draw you to himself? Don't need to be anxious or afraid. He, almighty God, has reached down to you and he's lifted you up. Do we have a culture that encourages and supports risk, ownership, continual learning and growth? of going into that spacious place. What is God releasing in our lives today? Renewed passion and purpose, friendships, connections, a heart for people who don't know him yet. The way we love different and difficult people is the proof of Christ living in us. God loves everybody, including those we don't. Building community and relationships in new places. In the case of moving to women, I had to learn to love and care for older people, to connect in different ways. And you know, one of those older ladies broke my heart. We were praying and I'd been talking about, you know, God has a role for each and every one of us to play. doesn't matter how old we are. And then she prayed and she said, Lord, you know that I'm willing. You know that I've done loads of stuff for you in the past. But now, with my body, I can't do anything. And I was nearly crying. I was thinking, oh. But you know, she had that heart that even though she felt she couldn't do much because she was older, she had that heart she wanted and she was willing. And we talked about actually you can still do a huge amount. Can you still be kind? Can you still show acts of kindness? Can you still listen? Can you still pray? Can you still hear God and do what he says? We need to connect with people, don't we? Hearts are not transformed by what we say, but by belonging and being together and sharing life together. Can I have the next PowerPoint now, please? Next slide, thank you. I want to speak lastly about calling. And what I've relearned over the last year. And it's probably not what you're expecting me to say. Yes, God called me to Compton, but that's not what I want to talk about when I talk about calling. I want to talk about that we are called to be who God has called us to be before we have to do anything. And that comes from our identity. We've been commissioned by God to go, not commanded or obligated. We're called to live in our identity as his children, to be who we have become, to live as sons and daughters of God. And that brings a very different feeling and a very different posture. Everything we do for Jesus comes from our identity, our being. And that can be a real counter to those of us who are driven or need to prove ourselves. When I know who I am and I live out of that identity and I'm secure in his love, it kind of brings a different motivation I don't need a position of leadership. We don't need positions of leadership. We don't need to show our skills. When we know the truth about God, we also know what's true about ourselves in terms of who we are and what we are, and also who and what we are not. Now, Nick Harding in his book, Reimagined Church, just talked about these four Gs. I haven't come across them before. It's only relatively recently I've come across them, and they're very straightforward, really. And it's about identity, the fact of knowing that we're made in God's image. God is good. I don't need to look anywhere else for comfort or satisfaction. I don't need to look to work or leisure 
or food or sex or box sets or other people. I just need to know that God is good. God is great. I haven't got to be in control. So I'm not so worried about having to achieve things. It gives me freedom and peace in my calling because I'm not trying to prove myself. God is gracious. I don't need to prove myself to God or anybody else by my performance. I don't have to do things. God is glorious. I don't need to fear anyone, but the awesome fear of God and the desire to please him is what I'm thinking about. Meaning I haven't got to be worried about what other people think. I don't have to be pressured into doing things. But when I truly know that God is good, great, gracious and glorious, and I am made in his image, when we understand our identity, it leads to a new way of viewing and thinking about our calling and ourselves. When we know that we know that we're children of God, that's our focus. That's what matters, not external pressures. And you know, we get the privilege of talking about Jesus to other people, haven't got to do it. The key thing is to live in the light of our identity and not to live up to other people's expectations or ideas of what we should be doing. So we don't have to think, oh, a church plant at Darleston or at Allenwell or at Compton needs to look like this, this and this. It must be this. It must have these ingredients in it. No, it's coming back to the presence of God, isn't it? Not programmes. And it's the privilege of sharing the image of God in us with other people. I don't need security in the approval of others or to work hard or to be driven, but trusting God and look to satisfaction for him. And it takes a long time to learn these things. I've heard them loads of times before and you learn them and you rehear them and you keep going back and thinking, actually, yeah, that's critical. If we truly know that we're sons and daughters of God, fulfilled by his provision and presence, given significance by our standing with God. And because of his love, we're utterly secure in our knowledge of his approval. We're sure of our identity. It's powerful. It's liberating. All of a sudden, you haven't got to prove yourself. You haven't got to do loads of stuff. You've just got to rest in God. But hear me, it's not an excuse for a free-for-all or doing whatever you want or thinking that you're right and you can do what you like. It's about learning to reflect his character. And it's always getting that balance, isn't it? So what does it look like then in practice for me at Compton? And maybe some of the ideas for you here. I think it looks like spending time and sharing life with people. That might be a weekly shared table. Could be breakfast together. Could be celebrating together. Could be going to loads of 80th parties. It's about creating space in our diaries for God to fill with divine appointments. If we're so busy, we can't. And in his book, Nick, um, Nick Harding in Reimagining Church spoke about, God had really challenged him that he was so busy, he had no time. So busy doing all the stuff for church and family, everything else. So he said he wanted to clear his diary for, I think it was two half a days a week. He said it took him a year to achieve that. So he must have had a diary like Kevin. But he did it and he worked towards it because when nothing's scheduled in those slots, whether it's an afternoon, a week or whatever, 
then you've got the opportunity to speak to God and have those divine appointments and chats with people who wants you to, rather than having to schedule it in. Just a really poor example, I still do a lot of cycling, and I'd been out cycling with some friends, and I was coming back past one of the cafes in Technol, and I just spotted there was a lady sat outside on her own who I knew had come to the hub, she comes to the coffee hub, but didn't know me. So I thought, oh. cycled past and thought, oh. cycled back, part of my bike, went in, chatted to her for an hour or so. But actually, if I hadn't had created that space, I could so easily have cycled on by. Though I'm not saying she's now gloriously saved and everything's wonderful, but it was just an opportunity to connect because I'd actually spent the time to say, okay, God, you're telling me to speak to that person. How often do we still create space to do that? I know that I know that some of you do all the time. And for others of us, it's actually going back and revisiting it and thinking, I need to create space so that God could just speak to me I can know him better, and then I can do what he's telling me to do. It means connecting with people. It means not saying church looks like this or church looks like that. Sharing from our identity of who we are rather than programs. It means openness and vulnerability. And it means regularly asking ourselves, what is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? And it's asking, Lord, what's the next step? I don't need the whole picture. Clearly, I do need the whole picture because I'm someone who does need the whole picture. But actually, it's trusting God with just the next bit, isn't it? Asking God what's next and not having it all figured out. I love a detailed plan, so that's quite hard. But actually, who do you want me to bless this week, Lord? That can be a simple thing. Ask yourself, who does God want me to bless this week? Full stop. By blessing, I can mean encourage. I can mean giving them a gift. I can mean spending time with them. It can mean serving. It can mean something really quite small. So let me give you an example. I had to go to the walk-in centre the other week. And it was a four-hour wait. Hurrah. Mm. And I sat down. And there was this little kid called... I know what her name was because they called it out of the Tamar sister because she was the one before me. Precious Damalola. And she was about one and a half. And oh, she was lovely. I could have eaten her. But she was running around. And her poor mum. And I just looked in my handbag. And I thought, and in there I got a little bat. Not as in a cricket bat. But you know, like a bat, flap, flap, bird. Plastic animals that you have when you have young kids and grandchildren. You have all in your bags and all sorts. So I just put it out. And I just gave her the bat. And we probably played with the bat for about an hour. And she was wandering around. But it's just thinking, okay, that probably blessed her mum. I didn't say... Hello, I'm a Christian. I want to bring you the blessings of Jesus. Although I was the only person there with a big book called Reimagining Church. So it may have been kind of obvious. <laughs> I went prepared for my four hours sitting there. But it's just about thinking naturally, isn't it? Naturally and organically. What can I do to bless someone? Could be giving them a bat. Could be anything. How can we bless someone this week? So that's a challenge to you guys. How can you bless someone this week? Encourage them, give them gifts, give them time, give them service. Something small. But actually, let's spend time and just 10 minutes this afternoon and say, okay, God, who would you like me to bless this week? And you may not come up with anything. In which case, just shove a few things in your handbag or your man bag or whatever it is that you carry. And so you're ready to bless somebody when God tells you or prompts you that that could be the person. At Compton, when we're starting, we're going to get the keys to the building in a few weeks' time. It's probably going to look a bit like a community garden that I'm excited for. We're going to have a community garden. Walking dogs together. 
All age drop-in in coffee spaces. Sharing life, being a place of welcome. Maybe messy church, definitely prayer walks. Working alongside others in the local community. Making missional disciples. Having huddles, you might call them accountability groups. Trying to live as an extended family. Definitely not, starting with Sunday services. So if you want to come to a Sunday service, you'll be disappointed because there won't be one because we ain't got no people. So, but it's working, isn't it? And that's not a blueprint. That's just kind of the things that we're thinking of. So the question is, what next, Lord, for Junction 10? How can you engage with Allenwell and Darleston and build a community with Jesus at the centre? As we think about foundations, as we leave our comfort zones, be open to the whispering and prompting of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives and allow him to stir our hearts. Live in our identity as children of God. He will build his church. There isn't a a blueprint or a set way. I think there are guiding principles. We are all unique. We're all made in God's image. As we live in the truth of this, we can trust God to unfold the way for us. But it means each of us getting out of our comfort zones, listening to God, being secure in who we are and really having that bedrock of our identity because then you're not pushed around by people or by influences but actually you think, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? It doesn't matter what I'm being asked to be pulled over here or there. What are you saying? And you know what? As, as God reinvigors your passions and the gifts and abilities he's given you, as you step out, God will, God will bless that. You know, and I'm sure that there are people here that know that God is saying, I need to be involved on the animal. My view is, don't sit and wait. You can wait forever. Get together with the other people. Chat to your leaders. Say, okay, what's God saying? How can we start blessing them now? I know the talk, the talk is coming, the talk is coming, it's exciting. And it will be really helpful to have a base. But actually, how are you going to bless the people? Don't need a building to do that. A base really helps. Just playing through. What are you saying, God? What have you said in the past? What are you saying now about how we engage with people on the animal, how we engage with people in Darlston, how I engage with people at Compton? Out of our identity, because that's what we've got to share. What we've got to share is our identity as children of God. I just want to leave one final thought with you. It's not on the PowerPoint. And it's Psalm 67. And in the NIV, it says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And that's what I want to pray over Junction 10. That God would be gracious, bless you and make his face shine on you. But just think for a minute. What does it mean for God to turn his face to you? In fact, guys, can you just shut your eyes for me? I'd like you to just think, just sit there and think that you're in here now, but actually you're looking to God and he is turning his face to you. And as he turns his face, his face is smiling at you. His warmth is on you. You can see his his presence and his face. You can feel his favour and his grace. But actually just... Spend a moment to just look into his face. To feel his love. Because God is turning his eyes on you. 
Just like as an adult turns to a toddler, you get down and you look at their eyes to get their attention. God's eyes and his gaze and his face is shining on you. And it's the smile of a loving father who mercifully forgives. For some of you, he's smiling and he's giving you his protection. And that's what you're sensing, his defender. He keeps you safe. But know this, that he always turns his face towards us. He's never hiding his face from us. He intends good things for his children. And as you look at God's face, just know his active regard and love for you. God is watching over you. He's breathing his life into you. He sings over you. God's face is shining on you. Father, I pray that we would just know what it means to have your face shining upon us. Thank you, Lord, that you are gracious to us and that you bless us. May we live in the knowledge of our identity as your children with your unconditional regard for us each day. Help us to be secure, Lord, in your love, knowing that we're held in your hands. And from that position, you call us to follow you. You call us to live as your children, not under pressure, but under grace. Not having to do things, but just being in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your children. Amen.